some people say I watch too much TV, movies. I mean, what, what can I say? I grew up watching the movies, going to the theater. It was a poor man's pastime. Growing up in the streets of L.A., it's uh, where I was able to escape, right? Uh, and movies stick with me. I've always had a real keen knack for remembering scenes forever, it seems like. And then uh, when I got to be older, uh, my first job was at a movie theater on Hollywood Boulevard, and it was fantastic. I was there for all the premieres. It was great to see people showing up, met a lot of famous people like uh, Jonathan Winters, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, just it was a exciting, always, you know, the, the art of cinema. And boy, it's uh, not as good as it used to be, as they say. But it's not what I want to talk about. Uh, there is a particular movie that I want to bring to your attention, which I'm sure you've seen. Uh, if you, it's the movie which is entitled uh, Cast Away, Tom Hanks. It's a story of a guy who gets stranded on an island. He's working for FedEx, and his plane goes down during an electrical storm. And he uh, somehow manages to survive. And he ends up on this small island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean for three years. And it's not based on a true story. And it's by the same director, Bob Zemeckis, who uh, I know from his work with. He's the one that also did Forrest Gump. And one thing I've noticed about uh, Bob Zemeckis' movies is they tend to be secular. If you ever notice some of these movies like Forrest Gump and and even this movie, Castaway, they never mention anything to do with spirituality or religion. It's uh, Hollywood's way of ignoring the issue altogether. They make great movies, but sometimes these movies, you wonder, it's like if I was Tom Hanks and I was on an island all by myself for three years, I think at some point I would probably pray to God and say, please help me. But that's just me. Uh, in this movie, something interesting happens, and it reminds me of something Arantia book says about the ego and the alter ego. And so I can draw illustrations that indicate it is not until man has the first internal dialogue with self that true intellectual growth occurs. It is, in fact, this internal conversation between self and and ego that determines growth. Now, remember the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks? Remember Wilson, the volleyball he spoke to about halfway in the movie? And then he continues to have a sort of a dialogue with this inanimate object where he draws a little face on it. And think about this for a moment on what occurs after Hanks' character, Chuck, begins to have dialogue with this inanimate object. What is happening? What is transpiring? And what are the results of this? What conclusions can we draw? So here's a nugget of trivia from a movie review, which will take me to my next point. The writer in this review says, Chuck's fortune began to turn around the moment he meets, parenthetically speaking, he meets Wilson, the volleyball. Draws a little picture of a face. And immediately after he begins talking with Wilson, he succeeds in building a fire. And it is this personal conversation that really saves 
Chuck's life. He starts a fire. He eats cooked food. He becomes stronger. He builds a better residence. Everything changes at that moment, right after he begins to have that dialogue between self and other on an intellectual level. So it really is an argument for the demarcation of not only a human being, but perhaps even entire societies, that until they look within and start to have that inter-dialogue with the fragment of the Father, nothing really changes over long periods of time. From 91, uh, paper 91, paragraph 3, we read, Children, when first learning to make use of language, are prone to think out loud, to express their thoughts in words, even if no one is present to hear them. With the dawn of creative imagination, they evince a tendency to converse with imaginary companions. In this way, a budding ego seeks to hold communion with a fictitious alter ego. By this technique, the child early learns to convert his monologue conversations into pseudo-dialogues in which this alter ego makes replies to his verbal thinking and wish expression. Very much of an adult's thinking is mentally carried on in conversational form. Such techniques of praying tend to evolve into the dialogue type of communications by the emergence of the idea of an alter ego. In time, the alter ego concept is exalted to a superior, uh, to a superior status of divine dignity and prayer as an agency of religion has appeared. So they take you through that process. Where does it start? When first learning to make use of language, children are prone to think out loud, to express their thoughts in words. Then the creative imagination, the budding ego, starts to have a conversation with the other part of that person's being. I did it. My children did it. My, I remember my youngest boy had a secret friend. And that's what that is. It's a, it's a conversation between self and other. From paper 111, we read, Meanings are derived from a combination of recognition and understanding. Meanings are non-existent in a wholly sensory or material world. Meanings and values are only perceived in the inner or supermaterial spheres of human experience. The advances of true civilization are all born in this inner world of mankind. It is only the inner life that is truly creative. Civilization could hardly progress when the majority of the youth of any generation devote their interest and energies to the materialistic to the materialistic pursuits of the outer world. Paper 111, Section 4, Paragraph 8. You cannot completely control the external world, the environment. It is the creativity of the inner world that is most subject to your direction because there your personality is so largely liberated from the fetters of the laws of antecedent causation. Your mind is the only place where you're free to think to decide, to choose. There is associated with personality a limited sovereignty of will. Paper 111, Section 4, Paragraph 9. 
Since this inner life of man is truly creative, there rests upon each person the responsibility of choosing as to whether this creativity shall be spontaneous and wholly haphazard, or controlled, directed, and constructive. How can a creative imagination produce worthy children when the stage whereon it functions is already preoccupied with prejudice, hate, fears, resentment, revenge, bigotries? And finally, paper 111, section 4, paragraph 10. Ideas may take origin in the stimuli of the outer world, but ideals are born only in the creative realms of the inner world. Today, the nations of the world are directed by men who have had a superabundance of ideas, but they are poverty-stricken in ideals. That is the explanation of poverty, divorce, war, and racial hatreds. So it's the inner world, the place where we have that, that process, that relationship. And by the way, it's the only way we can have a relationship with the Creator Father. He resides in the citadel of the mind. There a fragment of his deity, of his deity embrace of you, the personality. He has bestowed your personality and along with that gift, the ability to communicate with he who has bestowed it. But it can only occur in the citadel of the mind. It's so important in... in Maybe perhaps in this society we've forgotten how to teach people to look for God, who is actually no farther than the inner citadel of your mind. So we have to leave it there and give you a chance to understand the concept. It truly, truly is an important concept. Until next time, thanks for joining me on your Rancher Radio, the podcast. Regardless, I would rather take my chance out there on the ocean than to stay here and die on this shithole island, spending the rest of my life talking to a live ball!